0: Fiat Ministry Network and Patchwork Heart Ministry present Journeys in Faith. Now, here's Andy Santos
1: Hi, welcome to Journeys in Faith on this Friday evening. It's so great to be here. And I'm super excited because I have an amazing guest. She is also a friend of mine. So I'm pleased to introduce to you to Lisa Mladnik. She is a certified Gallup coach and a best-selling author so welcome lisa thank you so much for joining us
2: oh my gosh it's so much fun to be with you Anne. thank you for having me
1: that's right it's just awesome and it's a friday night so i know normally it may be a day of or an evening of relaxation with family so i'm very grateful for you uh for being here with us
2: oh you're so welcome it gives my daughter and my husband a chance to do a father-daughter evening of watching stuff i have no interest in so it's a win-win (laughs)
1: Oh, that's good. Win-wins are always good. (laughs) That's right. So we have so much to talk about and, uh, your journey has been amazing. And I know that grace has played a big part in your life. So I would love if you can tell us more about that, how grace has just opened up so many doors and your relationship with God.
2: Oh yeah. Um, I'd just like to start by saying that one of my favorite songs is Amazing Grace, that it was written by, I believe, a Protestant minister who had been a slave trader before he was converted. And that always touches my heart, because you think the people that we are tempted to give up on in life are the people, you know, even public figures who we think are maybe unsavable are so hardened. Uh, But grace can get in there. Grace kind of flows into the places um, with that unseen work of the Holy Spirit to change lives. And that song, Amazing Grace, I always want to say, you know, I once was blind. uh, the, The song says, but now I see. And I say, but now my sight is improving it's really a process it's not like i see everything perfectly now but through the action of god's grace through the this share in his life that he gives so generously i received spiritual sight at a time of great darkness at a time when my life was so bitter so deflated and so really on the verge of complete hopelessness and yet through the intercession of Our Lady, her fingerprints are all over my conversion, the Holy Spirit led me on a remarkable journey, an actual physical journey. And so this once ugly, painful life, and I do mean painful, so painful that my body physically hurt with all of the unhealed wounds and the unhappiness. Um, but, But through Our Lady, I was led to this place of love and beauty and trust and remarkable healing. And so I'd like to start by just simply saying to everyone listening, that we hear it all the time that God saves us, that we have a Savior. But really think about it. God saves us. He saves us. And there's something to be saved from. Many times it's ourselves. But we are in a spiritual battle, and we need saving. And God most certainly saved me. I'd like to share something from the Catechism, Part 3, Life in Christ, and it's paragraph 1994. I find that one easy to remember because it sounds like a good year, right? Yes. (laughs) A good year for wine or something. But it says this, it is the opinion of St. Augustine that, quote, the justification of the wicked, that's us, is a greater work than the creation of heaven and earth. So saving us is a greater work than that. And he goes on to say, because heaven and earth will pass away, but the salvation and the justification of the elect will not pass away. And the Catechism says he holds also that the justification of sinners surpasses the creation of the angels in justice, in that it bears witness to a greater mercy.
1: That's a lot to contemplate. It oh my really gosh. Is. I want yeah. to take that line and read it over a few times and just think about it.
2: Yeah, that's paragraph 1994. You're so welcome, Anne. Mm. And what that gave me when I first stumbled over it, I just happened to find it in the catechism, is that God saves our souls with more urgency, more passion, creativity, and tenderness than, than creating the entire universe and even heaven itself. It boggles the mind. But to personalize it and to take it out of the realm of so big we can't grasp it Think of Jesus, John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world that he gave, he gave us his only begotten son that believers would not perish, but would have eternal life. He gave us, think all of you who are parents out there, think for a moment of giving your child for someone else's sake. Just, it blows my mind.
1: Yes. I mean, of course, that's probably the most um, prevalent verse in scripture, I think, in the New Testament that we hear from both, uh, Catholics, Christians, you know, uh, people of faith. So it's, it's, uh, it's just beautiful. So thank you for sharing that and mm. for your, uh, taste of, of grace in your life and how it really opened up so many, uh, pathways for you. Uh, now I'd love for our listeners also to, uh, hear about your own conversion story, your, your own faith journey. So, uh, just go ahead and tell us, because we're really excited to hear uh, how you got to where you are now. I know you're still on a journey. We're, we never stopped that journey, right? Absolutely. But, <laughs> but how you came to be at this moment, uh, believing in Christ and, and filled with faith.
2: Mm, thank you, Anne. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I guess I was kind of a typical Catholic kid. I grew up in a Catholic military family with very devout parents, and we moved around a lot. But during that time, I was born in 59, so in the kind of 60s and 70s, the church was going through its upheaval, right? It was trying a lot of new things, and sometimes the experimentation really did water down the faith. But it was done by, for the most part, I would say, very well-meaning people. And so my catechesis growing up in various parishes... um, was really a feel-good religion. It was kind of a plush toy Jesus. We were told a lot that Jesus loved us. And the wonderful people who taught us that just tiny sliver of our beautiful faith in the most well-meaning way did make us feel welcome in the church. And that was no small task in during our times, especially in the early 70s, just so many people were dropping out of the church. And then I went off to college with this feel-good religion. And when life ceased to feel good for me, when I started to have painful experiences, it felt to me unconsciously, and it was years before I understood why I was so bitter towards God. But when life ceased feeling good, I started feeling like God no longer loved me. That's Mm -hmm. the danger of a feel-good religion. If everything is about our feelings, then when your feelings change, it's as if God has changed. And that's not true. God is not in our feelings. Sometimes he gives us beautiful feelings. But regardless of our feelings, he is there and he is faithful and he is present to us. But I really didn't understand anything about the redemptive power of suffering, the transformative power of the sacraments of the church. I knew nothing. I didn't even know a thing about Our Lady, which is bizarre because we prayed the rosary during Lent as a family and we had images of Our Lady in the home. My parents were great and they were very devout, but they trusted the church to teach us the faith. It was just their generation. And so as I went through life accumulating wounds, uh, my faith just started to feel like a lot of guilt baggage, it didn't feel useful to me anymore. And I got to the point where I had an opportunity when I was in college, I got an agent because of a show I did that went to New York. And the agent said I was he was going to make me a star and turned out to be kind of a creep. But um, at any rate, so I had career problems, I suffered from infertility in the in the early years of my marriage and the the wounds that built up in me because I'd suffered an assault in college, I mean, just so many things were coming at me at once but I really did hit rock bottom and my marriage was strained. All my relationships were strained. And I got to a point where I felt like God simply wasn't answering my prayers anymore. I was so angry at God that I used to pray with my fist in the air. I used to walk around our apartment in Brooklyn, just raging at God with my fist in the air. And if I could have physically attacked God, I would have, I was just that just out of my mind really with frustration and anger. And so uh nobody could talk to me about jesus or god at that point because in my ignorance i equated jesus and god with angry heartless men right like there was just this sense that he was not speaking to me anymore that i was abandoned and all it really was is that i couldn't hear that gentle voice in my soul anymore because i had you know had been a long time since i'd confessed my sins And I really think of there having been sort of spiritual static or noise in my soul from all the built up gunk of my sins. And so what I really needed was a spiritual bath and didn't know it. But at a certain point, my mother came to visit us in Brooklyn and recognized that I was in crisis. And for no reason that I could have understood at the time, I can see now that it was the work of the Holy Spirit and Our Lady. But while she was visiting us, I asked her to teach me how to pray the rosary which is just completely bizarre, because I was rejecting the church, I was rejecting Jesus, I want, I believed in God, but I thought he was, you know, just this heartless deity that had kind of cast me aside. And so it's just bizarre that I asked to pray the rosary with my mother, and she taught it to me very lovingly. And not long after that, my mother was the first bead, I think of the string of women that came into my life as the beads of a rosary, because it began with the rosary It was my mother. And then I went on an out of town audition. And I met up with an old friend who recommended a book about a woman who was having an existential crisis and went to live alone. She bought a dog and walked on the beach and confronted the truth of her life. And I became enamored with this idea, Mm -hmm. and started to plot how I was gonna get off by myself and looked at ashrams and other places like that that I couldn't afford where I could be among people but have some solitude. I really did need an escape. And so my mother found me a place at La Salette Shrine in, I believe it's West Attleboro, Massachusetts. It's been a long time but it's a lovely little shrine with a dormitory. And she got me a reservation there for $35 a day, room and board. It was all I could afford. So I got on the train from New York to Providence and on the train, a packed train, there was only one seat available next to a young woman. So I kind of wedged my bags in and sat down next to her. And she started witnessing to me about the saving love of Jesus Christ for four hours. (laughs) Talk about grace. And it went As by like said, five minutes, at the beginning. Yeah, right? Exactly. Like the only seat available. And when she was done, when we were almost to Providence, she said, you know, I've never done that before. She told me the whole story of how Jesus had saved mm. her, saved her marriage, helped her father to convert on his deathbed. I mean, she had suffered abuse and all kinds of things. And, and so at the end, she says, I've never done that before. I've never witnessed to a stranger. So and that she, was her
1: first time. So Talk about the hand
2: of God. (laughs) right. (laughs) Here here she was just this complete stranger and she starts to talk to me about Jesus, who was the last person I really wanted to hear about. But anyway, so while I was at the shrine, my mother got me to the car rental place and I got, this was the days of printed instructions, not GPS, and I got myself off the right exit, a couple of turns and there was the shrine got into my dorm and I started to go to daily mass. It was the strangest thing because I was still so angry at God that every time I received holy communion at the noon mass and I couldn't not be there. I was I remember hanging up the phone and and just running to mass if I was on with someone because I couldn't stay away. But when I would receive the host I had this sense that it was going to burst into flame on my tongue because I the bitterness was so great. And that coming together of Christ and the real presence on my tongue, there was just this sense of awe and almost terror at the same time, but I couldn't stay away. And of course, it wasn't appropriate. I wasn't in a state of grace, but I was ignorant. And so anyway, it went on like that. And I was crying a lot. And I was in my room alone a lot. But I was praying the rosary every day. Well, one night, Mm -hmm. I just couldn't take the solitude anymore. And I just I just walked out under the stars I was all alone on the grounds and there were lifelike statues or life size statues of the stations of the cross and the rosary mysteries and things like that. And I ended up in front of a statue of Our Lady of La Salette. I just kind of went up these little steps and stood in front of her. She was almost life size and I stood looking into her face and something broke open in me. And I just started pouring out my heart to her as if she were, you know, living and standing in front of me. And I felt her there listening to me. And I poured out my whole story, all the bitterness and I raged and condemned and, and uh, accused everybody in my life, of course, everyone but myself was to blame for all my unhappiness. But I just had this sense of her taking it all in. And I went on a long time and weeping and, and hollering. I mean, I often tell people that if anyone heard the crazy woman up up on the hill, they surely kept their distance because I, I was up there on this little hill really just emptying myself for the first time. And when it was all out, laid at her feet, there was this stillness and words were spoken into my heart that were not my own for the first time in my life. And I heard, I believe I heard Our Lady say in my heart, not my ears, go see my son. And so go see my son, go see my son, just mm-hmm. like a mom, go see my son, right? That's where you need to be. And so I walked over to this really large, much larger than life-size crucifix. And I kind of stomped up the steps because I wasn't going to go up like a penitent. I was too angry. And I poured it all out again to him at his feet. And when I was done, I waited in the stillness for him to speak to me because I thought, surely I've had this remarkable experience with Mary up the hill and now I'm standing at his feet, but there was nothing. I just stood there in the emptiness and I was like, yeah, right. And I turned and I walked back to the dormitory, just furious, very let down. But when I, but I was able to sleep very well. And when I woke in the morning, all my bitterness was gone. All the pain in my body was gone. I was absolutely certain that I had a healing and that it was Jesus who had done it. There was just something about it that I knew it was him. And so that was the beginning of, you know, a number of other signs and wonders. I'll, I'll just try to be brief about some of them because they're worth telling. One was a, what I call my Holy Spirit drive. I felt the next day or maybe the day after that God was saying, get in your car. So I got in my rental car in an area that I didn't know at all. Remember, I only had directions from the highway to the shrine. And so I just started driving and I felt God saying, I didn't hear it audibly, but felt God saying, okay, now turn left now go straight, turn right. And this went on for some time, maybe half hour, 45 minutes. I'm not really sure how long it was because I was so intensely focused on the Holy Spirit. I didn't know it at the time, just guiding me. And and it, through this area, I didn't know at all. And then it, at a certain point, I got to this dirt road and I felt like God was saying, go down this road and it looked kind of disreputable it was rutted it was unpaved there were trees on either side i didn't know where it was going but i went and i'm sort of driving over the ruts and i come around this big bend in this narrow road and there on the hill in front of me is the back of the shrine so he had taken me on this long circuitous route around a town i did not know and i ended up right back where i began
1: you know, I'm imagining all of this in my mind, and you know what a beautiful story, and how amazing is God? That uh, I think God knew exactly what He was doing with you. Well, I'm sure He did.
2: <laughs> he knew I needed a trust exercise, and That's He knew right. how to speak just loudly enough to me so that I could hear Him, because I hadn't been to confession yet. But His mercy is incredible. And and I really felt that he was saying to me, I will take care of you, I will bring you safely home, you can trust me. So I finally did go to confession that weekend, there was a retreat on the grounds of the shrine. And then more healings happened. It's too long a story, but I became a daily communicant. I started. I kept praying the Rosary. Um, when I went home after eight days and reunited with my husband, I was much more filled with hope and having really vivid experiences of kind of my imaginative faculty being touched by the the mysteries of the Rosary. And I, I was just uh, on fire and learning more and more about my faith. I started going to conferences and listening to cassette tapes at that time about the faith. Um, but what what I realized as I went to confession more and more often, I started to go a lot, and I still do go quite frequently, I, I feel like it's one of those just, it's an it's a treasure and, and we, we neglect it. But what happens is that our unconfessed sin weakens us and and it makes us more susceptible to more serious sins too and all that spiritual noise starts to crowd out the voice of christ so we think he's not speaking to us when in fact it's like we have the tv and the radio turned up full blast and this gentle voice says you know he's just knocking that gentle strangers knocking at the door of our hearts and we're not hearing him in fact c.s lewis famously said that the places that we hold on to in our hearts, the places that are like unconfessed sin, the unforgiveness, things that we won't turn over to God, that those are the dead places mm. in our hearts. Oof. And so, so much about that experience. And of course, it is a long road. That was 1992. It was a long time ago, but it gave me a taste for mystery. There were just so many times after that, that I realized the sacraments were healing my life. I would confess a sin and something I had no idea had any connection with that sin would be healed in my life. There was greater trust in our marriage as I confessed impurity. There was, you know, just that's the one that stands out for me because I had watched and read and used language and stuff that was, you know, part of what was gunking up my soul. And so when I started to let go of those things and confess them, I I started to see my relationships healing very rapidly. And as I started to forgive other people, I started to learn the beauty and the joy of laying down my sins and taking responsibility for them. I started to be able to be magnanimous toward other people and forgive. And I saw them set free by that by that invisible forgiveness that was really happening in in my heart. I learned the joy of obedience as well as repentance. And all of these things that the 70s college feminist that I had been would have been dead set against intellectually. You know, I'm not going to obey anybody. Nobody's going to tell me when to be sorry. You know, I, I was very prideful person and very angry. My poor husband, who hung in with me through all of that. My Lord, that poor man, and he's such a sweet man, too. But anyway, so the the gist of it is that I became hungry for the faith, hungry for the Eucharist, mm-hmm. and and as you and I have talked about, we both la- love Saint Therese of Lisieux. She was the first saint that I got to know as a friend, and started to really emulate her trust, her simplicity. Uh, I tend to overcomplicate everything, so she's she's a good tonic for me. But I also started to become more aware that that were tabernacles for the presence of God and that that power is very real
1: good word. and growing. Yeah, and
2: Mm -hmm. we grow as we grow in our faith. We grow in beauty, authentic beauty. The impact that we have in the world is greater. Um, And of course, the healings are amazing. So every single day, I'm grateful when I really stop and think about my conversion and all of the signs and wonders that accompanied it. I I really do break down and cry in gratitude because I once was lost. I am found. I was blind. But now my sight is definitely improving.
1: <laughs> wow, it is an emotional story, even for me as I'm listening, I'm uh, imagining in my mind and and I know you, and you're a friend of mine. I'm very grateful for the friendship that we're starting to develop and getting to know each other through these programs and uh, just in in the work that we're doing. So it's just so beautiful. So I, I would love to invite people to learn more about you. Uh, by staying in, in touch on, on this show and staying tuned with us here, uh, Lisa has so much more to talk about, uh, but I will give you a website that over our commercial that people can take a look at. And that one is raphaelremedy.com and it's backslash Lisa hyphen Meladnik. That's Lisa's last name, of course. Uh, and if you go on that website, you, you can learn more about the work that she's doing. Uh, so please do check that out. I wondered if before we take that break, if you had any other words about uh, that time in your life, because I'd hate to uh, to end th- this uh, half of the show without you having that opportunity.
2: Mm, thank you, Anne. I guess um, one thing that really struck me, I was at a talk once by a very good priest about one of J.R.R. J.R.R. Tolkien's uh, stories. It's called Leaf by Niggle and it's N-I-G-G-L-E. You can get it on PDF free online. That's how I read it. But it was a little talk about that story that really struck me and here's what struck me about it. Niggle is a little character, kind of a humble little character, not a very impressive man. Um, But he's a very dedicated artist. He has a shed behind his house where he's been working on a landscape for years. And there's a big tree in the center of the landscape. And every day after work, he goes back to his shed and works on another leaf. And he's creating them one by one with great care. And now, again, he's not an impressive guy. He's not a really talented artist, but he's pouring his heart into it. And he has a really annoying neighbor that's always interrupting him when he's painting. I need help fixing my roof. I need you to do this. I need you to do that. And and Niggle has resentments about this, but he swallows them and he goes and he helps this man every time. He's always kind of having to have a little death to self and go and help this guy. And so eventually he goes on a trip. It's sort of a symbolic death. And he's in this purgation period where he's actually working in a hospital and he's doing hard things. And he gets to a point where he's had some growth in his heart. He's really changed by this experience. And he knows it's his time to leave. And he walks out and he comes upon a gate in a beautiful landscape with a little bicycle next to the gate. And he just knows that it's his bicycle. So he gets on it and he rides through the gate. And this always makes me cry. Mm. And and as he's riding his bicycle through this beautiful landscape, suddenly there before him on a hill is his tree, the tree that he spent his whole Mm. life creating. Mm. And yet it's been perfected and brought gloriously to life by God. And so he and then there's more as he goes into the landscape and and its story goes a little past that point. But my point is that our little lives matter to God. And even though we may resentfully at times do the right thing and maybe we aren't the most impressive people but our little things that we pour ourselves into that we love are perfected in heaven by god that we can that our works can bring beauty to the place of ultimate beauty and that is by god's design by his grace and so The world wants us to be very status conscious and try to do the big thing that gets us noticed or famous or rich or whatever it is. Whereas God sees that little journey of the heart, uh, that just being, that just being a person made in the image and likeness of God, kind of simply making our way through our days uh, will lead us. You know, if we give him our trust and and allow his grace to work in our lives, kind of get out of the way a little bit, uh, we can end up in that beautiful landscape. And our own lives can bring beauty to that place of ultimate beauty.
1: That was beautiful. I just can't stop smiling after hearing that story. (laughs) And you, you do tell a story so well that, you know, I'm picturing all of this in my brain and I don't think I'm going to forget everything that you've said this evening. And of course it's on video. So, you know, I won't.
2: (laughs) (laughs) You can't now you have no choice. (laughs) That's right.
1: That's right. So, uh, I would love to invite everyone to please join us for the second half of this show. We do have to take uh, a quick commercial break, but join us again here with Lisa Meladnik, author and coach. We'll see you soon. Hi, my name is Anne DeSantis and I'm the director for the St. Raymond Nonatus Foundation for freedom, family, and faith. You can learn about us on our website at nonatis.org. I'm here to tell you today about two great podcasts that I hope that you will tune in. The first Tuesday of every month at eight o'clock, we have a podcast specifically for Catholics affected by divorce. From eight to 9 p.m. Eastern, go to Philly Nonatus on YouTube to subscribe. In addition, we also have a podcast the last Thursday of every month. That's also at eight o'clock Eastern time for one hour. And that one is for families in crisis. We have some really great guests coming up soon. So, hope to see you then. Please also consider the fact that you can make spiritual direction appointments with us, with our spiritual moderator. All you need to do is go to our website on the contact form and just reach out to us. We'd be happy to hear from you and look forward to setting up an appointment. So, we'd love to connect with you. Please share this video and let people know that we're there for families affected by divorce and also families in crisis. Thank you.
0: Patchwork Heart Ministry and Fiat Ministry Network present the Discover Your Mission series. I can't even share with you how I was so rote in my faith, and I was attending Mass, but I was not present. I was a good man, I was a good father, I was instilling the sacraments into my family, uh, I was definitely not intentional. I was stuck rote in my faith. I did not want to become Catholic. I came into the church kicking and screaming i even left for a period because i was like i I can't all my plans that i had are gone now so i tried to go back only and that's only to come back later on because of the ultimate because of the eucharist but what kind of strength did he have jackie did not just have a strength of body or baseball skill he had a strength inside of his spirit a courageous meekness that empowered him to play the game
2: my husband comes home from work and i tell him what is going on with me and he's like oh okay and i'm like no 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 i think this is like some sort of miracle dude And he's like,
1: you know, of course, but I'll believe it when I see it, honey, you've been trying to quit. You've been saying this and saying that. And I'm, you know, he, his big line to me is you shouldn't say things (laughs) because I never follow through on them.
2: And so this was week after week, month after month. He is looking at me like this is a miracle. There is no way that you on your own could have done this.
0: In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 16-21, through St. Paul compares the sacrifice of the Christians to the sacrifice of Israel and then to the sacrifice of the pagans. Paul calls the chalice the blood of Christ and the bread as participation in the body of Christ and then warns his listeners that you cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons at the same time. So in other words, you need to decide, what are you going to participate in? Are you going to participate in the historic Christian idea of the altar of sacrifice, which is in the Eucharist, or not?
1: Hello, welcome back to Journeys in Faith here on this Friday evening. And it's so great to be here with my guest, Lisa Meladnik. And during the first half of the show, we learned so much about her beautiful faith journey, which she started out talking about the role of grace in her life. And uh, I really appreciate your sharing that with all of us, Lisa. And we do have a lot more to talk about because uh, the, the journey that you went on has led you to some wonderful work in the area of faith development and sharing your faith with others, namely being an author, also a Gallup-certified coach, and a catechist. So uh, let's start with your work as a catechist. I wondered if you could share a little bit about that.
2: Oh, sure, Anne. Uh, It's really amazing because um, after I came back into the church, it was several years before I was able to have a baby. I was infertile the first 14 years of our marriage. And then my miracle baby came along. And, um, and so it changed everything. I'd been an actress and a writer. I was doing all kinds of things for myself. And suddenly I was on track with this little girl, this amazing little person. And the day I enrolled her at the parish in CCD, they were short of teachers. And I stupidly involved, uh, you know, volunteered to help out, I thought I could maybe pass out crayons in the classroom and they said, why don't you teach your class? I was like, wait, what? And so uh, I had been doing other programs for kids, though, I'd been doing kind of character development stuff at the YMCA and at churches and scout troops and libraries and things like that using puppets and songs and my goofy little guitar. Um, So I kind of went and I had been an actress. So I thought, okay, so all right, so I'm going to teach the faith the way I know how to relate to kids. And I brought all this kind of like children's party atmosphere into the classroom. And it worked. The kids had a great time. And at a certain point, though, I was a little worried because um, we were having such a great time. And for some reason, that worried me a little bit, because nothing meant more to me than the faith. And I didn't want to do it badly. And so I prayed, Lord, please don't let me just be entertaining the children. Show me a sign. Am I doing this Am I pleasing you? And the very next week or very soon afterwards, two mothers came in with me together. They were obviously good friends and they both had daughters in the class and they just wanted to tell me all about what was going on at home. Oh, she's got me praying. Oh, and she wants to do good works all the time. And the two of them were kind of tag teaming, telling me all the fruits of what was happening in our classroom. And so I said, thank you, Lord. I needed that encouragement. And there it is. Plus, I had a couple of, because I was new in the parish, um, a couple of observers, different people at different times, had come in while I was teaching and just watched the class. And both of them said the same thing. Lisa, you should be teaching workshops for catechists. And i was like i just kind of got started here but i actually had a lot of experience and plus being a convert who was constantly slurping up the faith um, i had a, did have a lot going on and so a priest friend set me up to do a workshop for three parishes out in connecticut and that started the ball rolling i started doing them in my own diocese and then outside the diocese and then speaking at catechetical conferences and having been an actress and now a full-time mom i was really loving this getting up in front of audiences and talking about the thing that mattered the most to me and having a great time doing it and so that then turned into publishing writing you know online and then in actual published materials i have a couple of catechetical booklets with our sunday visitor and then I started kind of running conferences here and there and things like that in my area, which then led me to having, oh, and I helped start the Catholic Writers Guild. And so those two things, conferences and the guild, introduced me to Catholic publishers and we got to be friendly. And people started asking me more and more to write for them. And so I wrote some books and contributed to several books as well. But um, kind of the, the thing that, that I'd like to draw your attention to out of all of that is that The first full-length book that I wrote was about authentic beauty. And I mentioned it in the first half of the program in my uh, discussing the ugliness of my life and how grace flooded in and brought all this beauty and creativity and life back into my life. And so writing about authentic beauty at that point in my life meant the world to me. And I ended up, you know, traveling quite a bit, speaking about authentic beauty and aging, speaking to women's groups and seniors and anybody who would hear me. And um, it, it really was kind of a beautiful full circle moment of being out there testifying to how our authentic beauty and strength grows as our as our relationship with Christ in our souls grows. That that spiritual maturity, just as the world is telling us that our aging process is somehow diminishing and demeaning us, making us less relevant. Our culture wants to shut us up as we age and sideline us. And yet there's a diabolical reason for all of that. And that is that we're becoming spiritually powerful. And so that message really lit me up in a big way. And it was my experience. And, And there were often women in those audiences crying because they carried around so much pain about being age shamed and body shamed. And so here I was getting to bring this beautiful message. And that book uh, was a bestseller, and and really pr- opened a lot of doors for me, and uh, I ended up doing some Catholic television, a couple of seasons of a show with Shalom World Television, and um, and writing other things, but um, but then at a certain point, like I had had a some coaching of different types along the way people that gave me some encouragement that sense of coming alongside and helping me to be able to see myself and my life in new ways to get rid of limiting mindsets and to try new things and to have that expanding sense of possibility and so coaching had appealed to me for a long time but I couldn't afford the training you know when you're raising a child and not working full time you know people think that if you have a best selling book that you're making a lot of money it's not true that's right mm-hmm. it's not true. Don't be an (laughs) author to make a living. Um, At any rate, so at any rate, um, I didn't have a lot of money but at a certain point i started teaching for homeschool connections which is a fantastic catholic company and they're completely overrun and expanding like crazy right now because so many people are pandemic schooling and 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 discovering how wonderful it is to have their children at home and their children are thriving so i got to, i've been teaching webinars for them for 7 years so that it's been a wonderful experience but because i got i got to teach some wonderful children who were the children of people who owned the very professional Christian coaching Institute that I'd always wanted to study at. I ended up being gifted the foundational course, which was more than I could afford. You know, they, Ah. I loved them. They appreciated my teaching their children and taking time, you know, to kind of nurture those kids anyway. So I got this incredible gift and it ended up really setting off something in me. It was like a, you know, that this calling opened up this ability to, really deeply listen. I know I'm doing a lot of talking, you probably don't believe I'm a listener. Um, (laughs) It's true. Uh, I have special training, but really deeply listening to another human being so that they can have that sense of you creating that safe space for them, and, and, and opening things up for more learning for them to delve deeply in a prayerful environment into where what God is speaking into their souls. And they say things in coaching that they've never heard themselves say before, but they know are true. And it's amazing how that process opens things up and allows them not only to have a vision for their lives, but to start to move in that direction. And as soon as they get momentum into living really authentically and hearing God's call in their lives, everything changes. You know, from small changes to the bigger ones, it's all a process and it's never just a smooth, straight line, but people do transform their lives in this process. And so it's an incredible honor. And um, recently I, I got certified in a tool that I've been using for a while that I truly love, which is the Clifton Strengths Finder tool. That's why I'm a Gallup certified coach. And and to me, being able to help a person to see how they are wonderfully made by God to know to know their own talents and to be able to live into them more, to to develop them, because areas of talent grow exponentially with a little bit of watering and nurturing, boom, your whole your life can change very rapidly. And you can do be your very best self at whatever you're doing when you understand your own natural gifts. And then you get to understand the gifts of others in that. And and there's a kind of wisdom and strength. And uh, it, it's just glorious watching people grow. Coaching is really about encouraging and supporting growth. And it's it's very God powered. Uh, and, and it's a very simple process, too. It's not intimidating or anything like that. And so I just love it. You can see I could babble on and on about it.
1: And I'm smiling, too, because you and <laughs> I spoke, I guess it was maybe three or four weeks ago, and I took one of the, the Gallup tests It's called the top five. So maybe you can explain to them about that, because I was able to find out my top five uh, characteristics, I guess they're called. I,
2: uh-huh. is, am I using well, the right word, your, characteristics? Kind of. They're they're called, officially, they're called talent themes, Talents, but, they are, okay. but they are characteristics. Do mm-hmm. you happen to remember what they are, Anne? Do you feel well, like Well, I
1: remember that the first one was maximizer. So I don't know about maximizer. Um, I mean, well, off the top of my head, I I, I remember reading the description, but I wouldn't be uh, so good at reading that definition for you right at this moment.
2: Oh, that's a really cool one. Is it? Um, yeah, I love it. I mean, I love them all. There's not one better than another, but I love maximizer. I don't have maximizer, oh. <laughs> um, but maximizer is the person who likes to make the good better and has, ha, always sense. has <laughs> that urge to make it better. In fact, if they had their way and they had the time and the right resources, they'd always make things as good as they can possibly be. So your maximizer is a great person in a family and on a team. And um, But here's the thing about talent themes. When Don Clifton, he, Dr. Don Clifton, many, many, many years ago, first started out as a psychologist, it was around the time that the positive psychology movement was beginning. And that's looking for what's what's good in us and what's strong and what's beautiful in us rather than focusing on what's broken and so that really really changed the landscape but clifton at that time as a young phd was on a team of uh, psychologists that were studying school children and their reading speeds some children after being tested for reading speeds were at about the 90 words per minute rate and then there was this other group that was over 200 like around 240 on average and so they hypothesized that if they taught them all speed reading techniques the 90s might get up into the 200s and the 200s might grow a little bit you know that they would probably all end at about the same level. Well, to their very great surprise and excitement, what happened is that the people that were at 90 words per minute came up to around 200 or so after the specialized training. The people who were in the couple of hundreds went into the thousands very rapidly. Amazing. And, And what Clifton hypothesized correctly was that in areas of natural talent, a little bit of training knowledge and use he thinks of it as a, as a muscle or he did he's passed away uh, that that could grow exponentially with a little bit of attention and cultivation and so he set about for the rest of his career there's been 60 years of research into the the clifton strengths finder and he bought the gallup organization so gallup and strengths finder are kind of synonymous but um what he did is he identified really thousands of talents that human beings have and he studied hundreds of thousands of very high performing individuals, CEOs and teachers and artists and everybody across a lot of different disciplines. But what he noticed is that the many talents tended to be grouped together in themes, things that tended to show Mm. up together like communication talents or maximizer talents. It's a whole cluster of talents that show up as Maximizer. And so of the 34 talent themes, one of your top five is Maximizer. That means it's a dominant theme for you. That means that in the area of making the good better or making the not so good really good, that you have a talent there, that you have insight, that you have capabilities, that if you exercise that in a conscientious way and you use it whenever you can, it's going to grow. It's going to really grow and it's going to have more and more impact. And so that's kind of exciting because God has wonderfully made you in his Image and you he has a plan and a purpose for your life to bring value to others. And mature talent through Clifton, they state mature talent is other oriented. So this is all very Christian friendly. You know, it's really this sense that we are made to give. And and but we also get a lot. And we and the more we know of each other's talents, the more we can call out the best in each other. And one of the examples that I like to give, and there are so many, is that I haven't been able to get my husband to take this assessment. You know, not everybody likes assessments, but I've been able to identify some of his talent themes um, because you can see there are certain aspects. And one of his clearly is context. And what context means is the person who loves history. He's always reading history. And the person who loves stories about the past and makes sense of of who, who he is and what life means and what's possible based on history. It might be family history. You might have someone in your life who's an archivist who keeps all the family albums. They may have that talent theme. Anyway, so so in order to call that out in him, because when we do that, the person feels authentically seen and heard. They really feel like they're accepted and loved when other people understand their talents and can fill that need for them to really live in that talent. And so I started to ask him more questions, like we'd be driving on errands or something, and I'd say... You know maybe we on the way to the beach I might say what's your favorite memory of the beach as a kid? And he would light up and go into the story and tell it to me and, and the, just the whole atmosphere in our relationship started, started to shift. And so I just can, I, I just do that more often now, ask him to say a little bit about some, some aspect of his own history or something he's reading about. And, and I can see that it makes him a happier person to be seen and understood in that way, even though I'm not coming out and saying, this is your talent theme, so I'm not gonna ask you about it. I'm just calling it out. And and when married couples, families, work teams, work partners do this for each other and start to leverage each other's talents, like, hey, you're really good at that. Like, he's more deliberative. He takes more time and care to make decisions. Where, whereas I have something called activator at number three. Okay, So I want to get going right now. And I'm going to make decisions quickly. And I want to start the new project. And I'm very enthusiastic. But it doesn't mean that I always make good choices. And so I can leverage the slower moving deliberative person in my life to help me to make better decisions to consider all the data first. But if we but if I didn't understand that that was his talent, I might be like, oh, I just can't get him moving, or he might be saying, boy, she makes bad decisions. But together, <laughs> I help him to get moving, and he helps me to make good decisions. And so we can call that out in each other and appreciate it. He like he calls me his. He says that I'm a good self starter, which which is a big compliment.
1: <laughs> yeah, I I love taking the test. First of all, when I took it, it didn't take very long. I mean, I I think I finished it within, I don't know, maybe. 10 or 15 minutes, was it? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And I know that you had told me that there's one version where you can find out your top five talents. And then there's another one where now, did you tell me it was the top 20?
2: No, it's all 34. You can all do, 34. You okay. can see them ranked in order from top to bottom, and the and the bottom is really interesting. Like seeing what you're kind of low on, where you might want to leverage the talents of somebody else if you're working together in order to balance that out. Because we are all um, really gifted at certain things, but we're also all weak in some things. And so when we understand that, that's why the strengths finder is so popular in the corporate w- room world, <laughs> learn English. Um, <laughs> when when people work together with this kind of talent awareness, everybody's really engaged. They report very high levels of work engagement and satisfaction. They're all appreciating each other and leveraging talents in a way that lets everybody really shine and be amazing. And, um, and if they're weak in an area, they're willing to say it. It's like in that job interview question we've all heard, what's your greatest strength and what's your greatest weakness? Somebody with talent awareness can say, well, wow, Let me tell you, (laughs) I'm an avid researcher, I'm the person who will have that data that will help the team make a great decision. And I'm good at helping the team stay motivated and keep going forward where I need help is someone to help me slow down a little bit to make decisions and consider blah, 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 you know, like, that's the person who's going to answer the question with great self awareness and appreciation of the talents of others.
1: Well, you're making me want to get that second assessment by, <laughs> by having this 34. conversation. <laughs> yeah, I think we have to talk after the show for, for me to do that. Now, I also know that I don't need to take another test, right? I mean, it's all, I've already taken it. It's just a matter now of finding out the full 34 uh, talents and the order of those talents.
2: Right. And the thing is, the top five is used in colleges and corporations all over the world, very effectively, you don't have to have all 34. I'm a total geek for this assessment. So I really like to see the top 10 or 12. Because those are kind of your signature strengths, and they interact with each other in really fascinating ways, and help you to really understand how you operate, and how you can operate at your best and be your best self and achieve excellence more easily. But that top five Those top five, that's a powerful assessment all by itself and that's the least expensive one. There's also one for children and there's a less expensive version of that one, same test for students. So all kinds of discounts. And if you have a Gallup certified coach, you get more discounts if the coach helps you uh, order. So there's ways to keep the cost down. Uh, and the most expensive version is $49.99. I don't want to get all salesy. I'm just keep putting you in the picture. It's not hundreds of dollars. That's but, right. But a Gallup certified coach can can get you a lesser price.
1: And I will say this because I am a, I'm actually a student. I'm enrolled in, in St. Joseph's College of Maine. Uh, say hi to my friends from uh, St. Joe's College. Uh, for my degree in theology, and I got to take this test uh, for a little bit of a discount because of the fact that I'm a student. So if you have any students in your lives, or if you are a student, you can get a bit of a discount on that top five assessment, uh, which yeah. is a great thing. Yeah. So you were the you one that been... told me that since I'm a student. I can I can get this discount, and that was yeah. a good thing.
2: All you have to do is have a .edu email address. Mm-hmm to sign sign up for the thing and you got 40% off the student one.
1: Yeah, that that was amazing. Now it's funny, I have my phone in front of me and Jennifer, who's also on the team at Fiat Ministry Network. Hello, Jennifer. Uh, She asked me, where's the test? So (laughs) maybe you can explain for people who are watching uh, or listening here on the podcast to how they can get in touch with you and take this assessment.
2: Okay, well, anyone can take the test at any time. You don't need me to take it. If you work with me, I can get you a discount or, or with any Clifton Finder coach. And the Gallup site has the tests. If you just do a, in your search engine, um, just um, Finder or Gallup assessment, Either one of those things, it'll come right up, and you'll be able to follow. You know, look at the page and, and look at all your options. Um, if you're a student, I would say student strengths finder test, and that'll take you right to that page. Uh, or you could put in top five, or 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 just the strengths finder assessment. So you can find that on your own. There's also a listing of Clifton strengths finder coaches at the website. So just so you know that I'm not trying to sell you on something just for myself. I love the coaching. I'd be delighted to have new clients. But the point is that it's all about available there for you. And if you look through the site, once you take your test, other resources open up that teach you more about your talent themes. If you're a research geek like me, I have my number one Clifton strength is called input. That's the researcher that loves to collect Mm. fascinating. And then you can't shut them up because they want to talk about it incessantly. You're getting the picture. (laughs) Um, At any rate, I love all that exploring and learning and little videos and cool articles. And that website is a gold mine. So um, just FYI, for those of you who like to do a little research and are interested in in learning a little bit more about how you are wonderfully made, Psalm 139, verse 14. Um, yeah, that's, I think that's a very cool tool. It's like any human thing, it has its limitations, but when we bring God into the conversation, amazing things happen.
1: That's right. It, I just love your journey because it took you to where you are right now and you're helping so many people and I'm grateful that you've even helped me to be able to take this assessment and and also the fact that you're, you've are you also taught me so much so far just in the interactions that we've had about this whole process. And I'm excited to, uh, to do the second or find out the results from that second assessment too.
2: Mm. Oh, I can't wait to see it. Anne. I'm excited. Yeah. And it's it's really been a joy getting to know you too. I feel like I'm learning a lot from you as well. Thank you. Anne. Thank you. So now we're headed
1: toward the end of the show. And I wondered if you had any closing thoughts for people. I do want to mention those websites, though, just so we don't forget. Again, uh, Raf- Raphael Remedy. Uh, that's R-A-P-H-A-E-L remedy.com uh, backslash, backslash Lisa hyphen Mladnik, her last name. And looks like on the screen there, uh, Kent, our producer is actually showing everyone uh, that website and you can learn more about Lisa there. She's another one, uh, which isn't you directly, I believe, but it's a, a larger website for amazingcatechist.com. That's another one.
2: Yeah, that that is my website. That is the, your website. Okay. That's, that's my website. The Raphael Remedy is a practice that I'm the head of coaching for. Okay. Thank you yeah. for straightening that out. Oh, sure. And, and then, of course,
1: you can connect with her on Facebook at Lisa Mladnik. So uh, please do connect with Lisa. She is uh, a wonderful person to work with, especially for the coaching, as she's been explaining. And and she's an author. So you want to go to Amazon and check out uh, that that beautiful book that she wrote. Uh, that you said it was a bestseller, so uh, Lisa Meladnik.
2: Mm, that book is called True Radiance. True and Radiance. the subtitle is Finding Grace in the Second Half of Life. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you. so
1: and and so is there would there be anything else then that you'd like to share?
2: I guess I'd just like to say that um, it's always an honor to come together like this. it's it's really amazing how technology allows, like-minded people joined by the heart, joined by Christ to just share a little bit of their lives and of their walk. And I just really hope and I trust that God has brought out one or two things that maybe you can take away with you and that might encourage you in your walk to understand that God is leading you. He is speaking to you that you matter. And I don't mean to get all schmaltzy, but it's really true. You matter. And that can be hard for us because In our desire to be virtuous and humble, I think sometimes we think we're not important. I believe that is a lie of the enemy. Every one of us is part of God's plan for salvation. God has no limitations. His ability to have carefully, lovingly crafted you to do something amazing for him, whether the world would think it was amazing or not. Something really undeniably spiritually powerful. He absolutely intends that for every one of us, and so discovering that, doing anything to help the other person—I call it releasing God's power into a dark world. Anytime you encourage another person, express to another person how how you know how precious they are, uh, even just call out something good in them. Look for the good in other people. We are helping to release that power into a dark world, and we fight evil. We truly do. So I just, um, it's my pleasure to be here with Anne. She's an extraordinary person. And I'm really very pleased to that we are getting to know each other. It's such a grace. And, um, and just thanks for having me here. And thanks for all the great work that you're doing connecting people and sharing faith stories. It's really important that we do this.
1: Well, it's my favorite day of the week, honestly, other than Sunday, (laughs) because I just love Sunday and I love mass and family time day rest. But I love Fridays because of journeys in faith and meeting people like you and I invite you to come back
2: <laughs> because oh, you're I mean, an amazing
1: guest and have so much to share. Lisa.
2: Thank you, Ann. I'd love it. Thank you.
1: Now I would also like to invite people to go to a website, uh, patreon.com slash ministry. You learned a little bit of the, about that on the commercial break. And this is an amazing opportunity for you to get a parish mission sent right to your phone as a download or your computer. Uh, And it is through Patchwork Heart Ministry and Fiat Ministry Network. It is truly a wonderful tool for you to grow in your faith. And you can also go to that same website and you can watch a show, um, be a part of our mission. And you would have to join too, join Discover Your Mission. And there's different levels there, uh, pricing levels uh, for the journeys, excuse me, five minutes of faith. So our five minutes of faith, for, for this particular episode, I will be interviewing Lisa, and she will talk about three ways talent awareness can enhance your faith. So you won't be able to watch that video right away, but make sure that you know, you check it out within the coming uh, day or two uh, to go on to patreon.com slash patchworkheartministry. Everyone, thank you so much for joining us on this Friday evening for Journeys in Faith. And I'll be seeing you next week at eight thirty. Lisa, again, thank you so much. Oh,
2: thank you, Anne. Bye, bye, everybody.
1: Good night. Journeys of Faith is a production of Fiat Ministry Network and Patchwork Heart Ministry. For more information about Journeys of Faith, email info at fiatministrynetwork.tv. And be sure to friend, follow, and like us on social media. Just search. Journeys in Faith with Anne DeSantis.